It's Monday, July 12th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. And, you know, as I mentioned late last week, I'm, I'm off this week, but I'm, I'm not going to... I can't leave the Market Foolery feed with no content in it just because I'm on Cape Cod. That's why the one and only Bill Mann is here. Good to see you, Because you asked everybody else. You're, dude, you're my number one draft pick. You know that. <laughs> um, nice to see you, Chris. Um, there are a couple of things I want to get your thoughts on. And let's start with something that Jason Moser and I had talked about last week. I know this is a story that has crossed your radar because you were tweeting about it. Um, and that is Didi, the ride hailing app in, you know, the quote unquote Uber of China, although it has a much bigger market. Uber would love to have the market share in the United States that Didi has exactly. in China. Uber is the Didi of the U.S. Yeah. Um, what went through your mind when you saw the news that the Chinese government basically said, um, yeah, we're, we're going to halt new users from downloading the app because we want to conduct a cybersecurity review. And, um, you know, this is not the first time in recent history that the Chinese government has done this to a big tech company in its own country. So the big story here is that Didi's now been removed from WeChat and Alipay, which are super apps in, 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 in China. When Apple was when when President Trump threatened to uh, to ban Apple from you know from working with Chinese companies and force them to uh, take Alipay off of the 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 App Store, Apple said you will destroy our business in China. So this is a huge deal, a you know as big a deal as taking as, as having something removed from from the App Store. You know, it's 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 interesting. I don't know if a lot of people realize this, but back in 2015, people figured out using Uber data that some hackers in China were actually working with uh, the government by virtue of, of of having gotten a hold of their Uber data. So there is a lot of government sensitivity to the data that Didi is able to collect. Right. And Didi, uh, I think, made a huge mistake a couple of weeks ago. They put out a survey saying, saying, um, hey, look, this is the government ministry that works the longest on average by virtue of, uh, of us having the data from, you know, from when people are going and leaving from the Ministry of Public Security, which seems like a bad Chinese industry, you know, ministry to track. Um, so they have been they've got a big problem. It's interesting to me that the big problem came up after the company went public and took in four and a half billion dollars of non-Chinese money because the Chinese government knew knew the 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 past to this comp- company going public. But yeah, this is a big big problem for Didi. And there will absolutely be investors who look at the risk of the Chinese government acting quickly, intervening yeah. um, when they want to, and saying, you know what. I'm happy to take on that risk because, again, this is a business that has 90% market share, and I think this is shortly. You know, there there are always going to be people willing to make the bull case for Didi. I guess my question for you is, what does this do to inform your thinking about investing in Chinese companies? Because there are plenty of investors who will just say, 
Look, there are a lot of companies I can invest in, and right. I know there are some great rewarding businesses in China, but I'm just not interested in that particular flavor of risk in my portfolio. Do you look at it as, look, this is the cost of business, and I'm willing to take on this risk because there truly are some great rewarding businesses out there? A little bit more of the latter, but I, I would say, I would say. There are two types of you know there there are two types of people who are making mistakes out out there the people who are investing in China and the people who are not investing in China. Uh, China is it's 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 a different beast. Most of the Chinese companies that uh, that you own through the American stock exchanges are actually. Uh, nominee entities that are that that are domiciled in places like the Cayman Islands. So there is there's there's a bunch of corporate issues that you need to be aware of with in China. My advice to people when you're talking about Chinese company is just play the hits, just play the hits. Own Tencent, own JD.com, own Alibaba, own Pingon, and don't get too fancy with Chinese companies, because those companies we know at least as large as they are, although they do have plenty of risk from uh, Chinese regulatory actions, they are big enough that you know that the CEOs and the managements of these companies are already deeply tied in with the Chinese government. Right. It's 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 realpolitik. It might sound a little ooky, but it is true. If you want to invest in China, it's different from most any other economy in the world. Don't get fancy. Recently on Motley Fool Money, we did sort of our review of the first half of 2021, some looking ahead to the second half of the year. And I want to get your thoughts on because uh, I am curious what you're watching in the second half of the year. But before that, I think it's fair to say that that one of the big stories, certainly of the last 12 months, when it comes to the stock market, is the number of companies that have gone public. Um, the, far more IPOs than I would have guessed we'd have during a pandemic. Um, uh, certainly, the companies that went public via SPAC uh, skyrocketed. Uh, you brought something to my attention that I, I'm just I'm I'm still trying to wrap my head around. It's another company going public, and I'm not sure what what the upside is here because this is this is a company <laughs> called Authentic Brands Group. Yeah, and it's a licensing firm. And it I will say this: the brands underneath Authentic's uh, umbrella are really well-known brands. These are brands everyone has heard of. JCPenney, Sports Illustrated, Marilyn Monroe. I'm not sure how the the, the late, great Marilyn Monroe uh, is a brand uh, unto herself. Yeah. Um, yep. Nearly 60 years after her passing. But um, Eddie Bauer is one. Nine Brooks West Brothers. is one. Brooks Brothers. Yeah. It's like, uh, you know, it, it's, it, it, you know, it, it's, it's like the set of risky business is called and it wants its brands back, right? Like, <laughs> This is this is 1987 pulled forward to today. To me, the thing that caught my eye was that uh, this company has actually done something that is a tried and true way of making money, which is to do maybe the abs the the absolute opposite of David Gardner style investing. What they have done is essentially grave danced uh, brands that had some value. They were they they were buying brands that have absolutely run their course. But because they've run their course, they're getting them for for next to nothing. 
they're just assuming they're they're assuming just certain liabilities and they're repackaging this and they are bringing it public as a 30 brand conglomerate and and who knows i can tell you this this is probably not the this is probably not the the ipo that is going to be you know that people are going to be super excited about um Ultimately, I think this is probably good for the insiders, and I, I can't think of too many situations in which brands have really gone to as far down as JCPenney has that have revived themselves. But there are 30 of them in this basket, so they don't have to be right about all of them. No, they don't. And look, there are there are absolutely companies that make... Um, uh, look, licensing is one of those things. If you do it right... It becomes a nice little profit center. Yeah, and as you yeah. said, they've got thirty of them. They don't need all thirty to be winners. Yeah, uh, but it, it really does seem like, uh, as you said, this seems like something that benefits the insiders. I, I, I'm not saying I'm rooting against them, but it is it is one of those situations where uh, I'll be curious to check back a year after they've gone public. Yep. Super important to note that Simon Property Group is one of the uh, one of the investors, and I suspect I haven't I haven't read through the S one yet, but uh, I suspect that the reason why Simon Property Group, one of the largest mall owners in America, is an equity holder in this is because it was in lieu of contracts on leases that that weren't going to be fulfilled. So this may be a cash out for all of them. You know, maybe Barney's will turn around. Who knows? But it's coming. If you if you missed out on losing money on JCPenney last time, I got some good news for you. <laughs> I got good news. Could happen again. All right. Before I let you go, what are you watching in the second half of the year? I mean, I I had said recently, most immediately, I'm interested to see what we hear out of the big retail CEOs at the end of this month and into August, um, not just in terms of the quarterly earnings for Walmart, Target, Costco, et cetera, but also around hiring, because I feel like we're going to get some clues to permanent hiring as well as seasonal hiring. But that's me. What are you curious yeah, about? I, I, that is definitely something that I'm paying attention to. I'm really, really, and this will sound, this will sound a little twisted, I am very much paying attention to uh, all of the all of the factors around the Robinhood IPO. If you have you know if you've gone through the filing of the Robinhood IPO, they make about eighty one percent of their money from payment for order flow, which is money that they pay that uh, that uh, executing brokers pay them to execute trades, which is how they make money. They make about thirty nine percent of all of their money off of options trades and another twenty eight percent off of cryptocurrency trading. This is, they have a huge level of exposure to things that may have been just hot in 2020 and coming into 2021. There's potential regulatory, you know, regulatory action, further regulatory action against the types of, uh, the types of business plans that companies like Robinhood have. There's also, I mean, if Dogecoin stays flat for the next six months, what's going to happen to this business? I'm really... This is a mutant business, and they have disrupted a huge industry. But I'm also interested to know just how much of that's going to stick. 
Which is more surprising to you, the 28% they make off of crypto or the 39% they make off of options? Because the the options one is the one that struck me as being blows my abs- mind. absurdly high. Yeah, it blows my mind. And I think that they've benefited a huge amount from, I mean, any options trader will tell you what you need for, you know, what you need in a good options market is volatility, which in 2020, obviously we had. What happens to Robinhood when you've got a year like 2017 where the stock market is as flat as a board for the entire year? So anyway, there's a lot to be seen there. And really, to me, it's not so much the company, Robinhood, so much as it is, what is the market that we are going to operate in going to be like in 2022 and beyond? Because... Robinhood has changed things. The zero, like so many brokers had to chase Robinhood into zero commission trading. And that's billions of dollars that the other brokers said, just to compete with Robinhood, we need to give this high margin revenue away. So they've done some things, but it's going to be interesting to see how many of those things end up sticking going into the end of this year and into next year. Bill, man, great talking to you. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. Enjoy your trip. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.